Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. All right, this is Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to your acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all today. Uh, Hey, if you are a guest with us, uh, thank you for choosing to spend some of your weekend uh, here with the Hope Collective. My name is Alex, uh, one of the pastors here uh, with the church, and you are jumping in with us in the last week of a three-week series we've been in called Resistance. Uh, So we kicked off 2023 with a series talking about and exposing the forces that are working against our becoming more like Jesus, namely the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we went into February talking about the things that we do to actually fight against those forces, not with the weapons of flesh and blood like scripture talks about, not with those kind of weapons, but with weapons of prayer and fasting. And today we're going to be talking about serving. These ways of resisting these forces that are seeking to misshape us and how prayer combats the effect of the enemy, how fasting combats the pull of our flesh, and today how serving, rather than making us be shaped by the world, actually turns us into redemptive presences in the world. I'm not going to recap uh, every place that we've been over the past two weeks. We talked about prayer, we talked about fasting, but a quick note on fasting. Because last week, our lead pastor, Dave, invited us to respond and write on a card what we believed God was calling us to give up during the season of Lent so that we could get more of him. And so many of you responded, and what we celebrate is the fact that as God speaks, his people are listening. That's what we celebrate. And so over here by the cross, we had everybody uh, bring in those cards, and those are going to be sitting there through the season of Lent to remind us of the commitments that have been made. And so just to say thank you for listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and an invitation to all of us. When fasting is talked about in scripture, more often than not, it's talked about as a food fast. And we believe that God calls people into all kinds of fasts, but as a church over this Lent season from now until Easter, we want to join together and invite everyone into a season of fasting from food, not a season of fast food, That's the opposite of what we're talking about. But a season of fasting from food. Not the entire 40 days of not eating, that's a little bit extreme, but a food fast of some kind, whether that's one meal a day during the season of Lent or one day a week that you spend in fasting, inviting all of us into that space. And if you've never done that before, it can feel pretty intimidating to be like, man, that sounds really hard. And just to be clear, it's not easy. But there are things that you can fast from that are even harder than fasting food. 
So on Monday, we were sitting together as a staff, and Dave asked the question to all of us. He said, so how many of you considered for a little bit fasting from caffeine? I thought about it for about five seconds, and I was like, I can't do that <laughs> to my family. <laughs> At a certain point, it's not about you. It's about the people around you. I've done a caffeine detox before, and there are certain things that should qualify someone for quarantine. It's like, oh, I haven't seen Alex in a few days. Yeah, he's in quarantine. Is he sick? No. We just told him he could come out once he finds a better attitude. If you've never done a food fast before, consider this invitation from your church. We make invitations, you make decisions. We want to do this together because we believe that there's something about this that was taught by Jesus, that was modeled by Jesus, that we want to press into together. But even more important than that, we want you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit to what he's calling you to do. And if that's fasting from social media, if that's fasting from alcohol, if that's fasting from certain activity, you need to hear his voice and you need to do that. But we also want to extend the invitation to everybody to be part of this food fast over this season of Lent. So that's all we'll say about that for now. Today, we get to have a conversation about this third spiritual practice, prayer, fasting, and now serving. And we're in Matthew 6. We've been in here for the past three weeks. Matthew 6, specifically verses 1 to 4. We're going to go ahead and read those again together. And then we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about some things that Jesus said about serving. We're going to talk about something he didn't say, that I think we still need to hear, and then we're going to talk about something that we can't forget. So some things that Jesus said, something he didn't say, but we still need to hear, and then some things that we can't forget. So Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Holy Spirit, just as you spoke to inspire these words in the life of Jesus, just as you spoke to Matthew to write them down, we pray that you would speak again to our hearts today, that you would give us clarity in what you're calling us to do, and that you would give us the courage to do it. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. So some things that Jesus said, something he didn't say, and some things that we can't forget. Anytime someone steps onto this platform and opens God's word, there is a question in the back of their minds that needs to be answered for every situation. And that question is this, how do we apply the Holy Spirit's timeless truth in this book to a specific group of people in a specific place and in a specific time? How do we take those timeless truths that are underneath all of that and apply that to this people in this place and in this particular time, when we read these four verses, many of us have probably heard messages on this before, or even as we're just reading them, what immediately comes to mind for us might be financial generosity, giving to those in need. Just to be clear, because clear is kind, this is not going to be a giving message financially. We've talked a lot about giving 
over the past year as part of the Give Hope campaign. If you've been with us, we're going to be talking more about it in a couple months as we celebrate kind of the one-year mark of our campaign. But this is not a financial giving message. There's not going to be a call to give at the end of this service. This is going to be a serving message. You came in, you saw those cards on your seat. Maybe you didn't, and you're sitting on one right now. You might want to take that out. But there is going to be a call at the end of this service to sign up for a place to serve during the Lent season, and I am actually hoping to talk some of you out of it. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But why, if Jesus talked about giving money, didn't he? Why are we talking about serving? Because the word that's used for give here in verses 1 and 2, good deeds in verse 1, giving in verse 2, doesn't refer specifically to money. It actually refers to any act of generosity of oneself to someone else, an act of generosity on someone else's behalf. But the three ideas that Jesus talks about here in Matthew 6, prayer, fasting, and giving, traditionally the church has celebrated or remembered during the season of Lent prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. The idea of almsgiving within the church was that you would come into a space with a gift to give to someone in need, whether that's financially, whether that's material needs, whether that's food, and you, with direct contact with that person, would look them in the eye as you gave them a gift and expected nothing in return. That was the idea of almsgiving and these acts of generosity. Now what's happened over the past few hundred years and really accelerated with the advent of online giving and the smartphone within the past 20 years is that acts of generosity and giving had gone from a face-to-face connection with someone as you gave them a gift to a couple taps on your smartphone and a swipe. And that's your generosity. And what we've gained in efficiency, and that's not bad, What we've gained in efficiency, we've lost in terms of human connection with someone else to what the person that my act of generosity is actually impacting and what it meant to be like Jesus to step into the space with someone else and give of themselves. So this is not a knock on the way that we give financially in this day and age, but it's just asking the question, how do we recapture that human connection that this idea of generosity was always meant to instill in us. It's very difficult to do that financially in today's day and age. So what if we change the conversation not so much about how we give our money, but to how we give our time, how we give of ourselves, to step into the spaces of those who are in need to give of ourselves and expect nothing in return. So that's the lens that we're going to put on these four verses from Jesus to talk about how we give of ourselves and the things that Jesus wanted us to hear about our acts of generosity. The first thing that Jesus wants us to know from verse 1 is that there are rewards from the Father that Jesus doesn't want us to miss. This is the heart of Jesus in everything that comes next in the rest of verse six or chapter 6. So in verse 1, he says, watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus is making the assumption that good deeds like generosity and prayer and fasting are going to be part of a life that's spent following him. But there is a way to do those good deeds that involves receiving rewards from God himself, and there is a way to do those deeds 
that settles for something less. And Jesus tells us that the difference between those two things is whether or not we are willing to allow our good deeds to keep a low profile. Jesus goes on to make three points about the way that we give of ourselves to others. The first is this. Don't give of yourself to be seen by others. Verse 2. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and in the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward that they will ever get. Jesus is drawing this absurd visual with the religious leaders of his day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, walking to the synagogue with a marching band behind them, declaring their good deeds to the people in the streets. Here I come to give my tithe. This would be about the equivalent of us passing the buckets in the middle of service and someone just standing up and saying, attention, Hope Collective. I am donating 10% of my income to the church. There you go. That's not how you play the trumpet, by the way. Josh Thompson and I will talk about that later, but just a heads up. It's an absurd visual, but Jesus is making the point of these outlandish, ostentatious acts of generosity that are meant just to draw attention to oneself. And we may not have a horn section to announce our own acts of righteousness, but there's still a part of us that wants to be seen doing good so that we can get the applause and approval of others. And so our service project selfies our virtue signaling social media posts, our look how I love people, Instagram feeds, flood us and others with a declaration of our own good deeds and righteousness. And as we do this, the culture of the world, what we've defined as the sinful society that exists in contrast to the kingdom that God is inviting us to be a part of, cons us into trading the eternal rewards of the Father for a double tap on Instagram. And if that's all we want, Jesus tells us that God will honor that. But there are rewards from the Father for good deeds done in secret that Jesus doesn't want us to miss? Are we willing to allow our good deeds to keep a low profile and not give of ourselves in order to be seen by others? The second point that Jesus wants us to hear is that we don't give of ourselves just to feel good about ourselves. Verse 3. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I have always, since I was a kid, this has just been a comical verse for me. Because I'm just like, right hand, left hand. Hey, right hand, what you been doing? Mm, Not much. Hmm, that's suspicious. Don't worry about it. Like, that's how my brain works. I don't know. (laughs) But this idea that your good deeds could be done with such secrecy that you yourself don't know what you did. And rather than trading this calculated tracking of your own righteousness in order to gain a better high score, there is this beautiful ignorance of your own good deeds. And such a self-forgetfulness 
in all of this that rather than saying, I did my part, I checked the box, I did my good deed, and develop this smug sense of self-righteousness with your own ability to do what God wants you to do, that there's a secrecy and a self-forgetfulness that almost says, what good deed? Jesus is calling us to a life of generosity of self that doesn't have to keep score. Not only is he calling us not to serve in such a way as to get a big head, but to serve in such a way that we actually don't hold it over other people's heads. So if Jesus is talking about giving of ourselves in such a way as not to be seen by others, as not to just feel good about ourselves, he's also calling us not to give in a way that demands something in return. He calls us to give in such a way that we demand nothing in return because we already know that there is a reward waiting for us from God himself. Verse 4, give your gifts in private. And your father, who sees everything, will reward you. Throughout church history, this act of giving of oneself, demanding nothing in return, has been called altruism. I didn't even say that right. Altruism. An unselfish concern for other people's happiness and welfare. The ability to give of yourself, whatever that might mean, and expect nothing back. There are rewards that await us that go far beyond what anyone else could or could not give us. And while Jesus doesn't spell out what those rewards are, he's making the assumption that he doesn't have to. If we know that those rewards exist within eternal, good, and gracious God who knows everything we need, then why would we compare anything else to what he would offer us? And so when we serve, we serve not expecting anything from the person that we're serving. We serve not expecting God to do some, something in their life or expecting God to do something in our life. And we don't serve expecting someone to treat us a certain way. I was talking to someone uh, volunteering at the food pantry and uh, talking about how things are going over there. And, and they talked about a moment. It was like, you know, I did so much. And then there was this moment where this person just didn't treat me with the kindness and love that I've been treating them. And there is this moment where you have to decide, is that what I'm going to expect from them? Because I've done so much for them. Or in the way of Jesus, do we say, I've been able to love you. And that's where my responsibility stops. Jesus is calling us to serve in such a way that says, I'm not serving you because of you. I'm serving you because God loves you. And Jesus would serve you. And I want to be like him. So how can I bless you today? And there's a lot to be said here about stewardship and boundaries and mutual care and concern for one another. Those are conversations for another day. Jesus talks about serving in many different places in Scripture. This is just one place where he talks about serving in the life of faith in that regard. But Jesus is saying that when we serve, there are rewards from the Father that are waiting for us. If we choose not to serve in a way that is just trying to attract attention to ourselves, feel good about ourselves, or demand something from other people. When we are able to serve in secret, knowing that God himself is the one that has called us to serve, knowing that he is the one who gives us the rewards that come next, we are able to serve with a beautiful self-forgetfulness and a liberty that is not possible any other way. We talk about serving as our privilege being one of our values. What is a privilege? It is an uncommon opportunity. Christians are the only people in the world 
who have the capacity to engage with an uncommon opportunity to serve and be generous with others because we don't have to expect anything in return. And if these are the things that Jesus said about serving, there's also something that he didn't say that I think we need to hear today. And so I'm going to borrow a, borrow a phrase from Dave. Um, can I pastor you for a moment and be able to speak not just as a teacher, but as a pastor uh, concerned with the hearts and the spiritual journey of every single person in this room? Uh, and I kind of wish that I could say this as the pastor of another church and just kind of drop in and say it because it feels weird for me. And it's... This is probably a me thing. I don't know. You guys might feel awkward too at the end of this, and that's fine. But I'm sure it's going to be at, at least me. Um, anytime you give a talk about serving in the church, there is a tension that you have to deal with. And it comes down to the tension of the church as an organization and the church as a family. We talked about this a few months ago as part of a growth series. The church is an organization. We are a volunteer organization. We believe that God has called us to do good in the world, but that good only happens as people step up and step into the places that God is calling them to serve. And as an organization, this church is growing. And there are incredible things that God has invited us to be a part of. And we want to extend that invitation to as many people as possible because God is doing some amazing things. And I don't think, I, I did not have a scale for what this actually looked like until this week when I reached out to some of our ministries and I said, hey, how many people does it actually take? How many volunteers to do what you do in a given week? And so I reached out and I asked our worship pastor, uh, Alex Hartman, I said, how many, how many volunteers between worship and tech, how many volunteers does it take for you guys to do what you do every week? Caveat, this room, I want you to take a minute and I want you to look around in this room. There's about 300, nope, please don't look at me. Look at the other people in this room. <laughs> this room... This is what about 270 people looks like. There's about 330 seats in this room. Statistics will tell us that rooms this size never get more than 20% full. So this is about 270 people. This is what that looks like. When I asked how many worship and tech volunteers does it take, about 15 people a week. I'm going to ask our first three rows here, if you would be willing, if you can, to stand up for me. So this is about what 15 people looks like. This is our worship and tech ministry. I asked our hospitality team, Mary Beth, coffee, ushers, greeters, how many volunteers does it take for you to do what you do in a given week? I'm going to ask the next two rows, if you can see me, to go ahead and stand up. The next two rows behind the rows that are already standing, and everybody stay standing, please. So that's another 15 people. That's the hospitality team. This is two of our ministries, worship and tech, and then hospitality. Then I reached out to Kate in our kids' ministry. And I said, Kate, how many kids does it take to do what you do in a given week? I'm going to ask, I can't see you guys, but the next three rows, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand up. That's another 40 people that go for the kids' ministry and Ignite that happens on Tuesday nights. This is three of our ministries. And then I asked Donna with the Hope Center, she's our Hope Center liaison, Donna, on a given week, how many volunteers does it take for you to do what you do in the Hope Center? How, much, how many volunteers does it take for this ministry to, to take place? I'm going to ask the rest of you in this room to stand up, if you're able. On a third Saturday, 
when all of our ministries for the Hope Center are in full swing, this is Buddy Break, ESL, Hope Legal, Intake, Food Pantry, 211 volunteers for the Hope Center on a third Saturday. That's this room. These four ministries represent this room. And this is not to say anything about student ministry, our group leaders, Wellsprings, Alpha. This is all the volunteers it takes for four of our ministries for one week. Assuming that everyone would serve once a week, this is all the people we would need for four of our ministries. But you stack all of this up, four weeks out of the year, you had our different ministries in here. Let's say that we have a few other people serving. Let's stack four of our auditoriums on top of each other. That's how many volunteer roles exist within the Hope Collective. Just for a sense of scale. You guys can go ahead and be seated. When we talk about the Hope Collective as an organization that exists with volunteer needs and is reaching out into its community and building up the body of Christ here, that's just a little taste of how many people it takes. But there is a tension here. Because when we invite people to serve, we're not just an organization that has ministries. We are a family that serves because that's what families do. And so there's always a tension when we talk about serving, because we have volunteer needs, but we don't want that to be the reason that people serve. We do not serve because the church asked us to serve. We serve because we want to be like Jesus. And our church happens to have opportunities that we can practice that. And I feel like I need to say this really, really clearly. Um, whether you're serving or you've thought about serving, you're entertaining the idea of serving. Um, when you do what you do, do not serve for the Hope Collective. Do not do what you do for Hope Co. Because here's what happens. If I do what I do for the church, because of human nature, this is what happens, is that my activity for the church creates a set of expectations from the church. And this is what Jesus talks about in verse 3. We don't serve making demands on the people that we're serving. But if I serve and I do what I do for the church, that creates a set of expectations from the church. And one of two things happens as a result of that. The first is that when my expectations that I have, either conscious or unconscious, aren't met by the organization that I'm serving, I will either burn myself out trying to serve more and more and more for the recognition or the accolades or to be treated a certain way by the group of people that I'm serving. I will either burn myself out trying to get that level of recognition or I will nurture a cancerous sense of self-righteousness and become a martyr in my own mind because I'm serving this church and this church has done nothing in response for me, but I'm still going to serve. And that attitude creates such a sense of bitterness and leads to so much brokenness that it scorches the landscape of our soul and poisons our relationship with the family of God. When we serve, we cannot serve because the church asked us to. And I will say this, I would rather you do nothing 
than for that to happen to you. Our heart as a church is that when you serve, is it an opportunity for you to become more like Jesus, not for you to do something for an organization. That is not our heart. And we would rather lose volunteers than for you to lose the rewards that the Father is storing up for you in heaven because you traded them for the unmet expectations of this group of people. This is the tension that we deal with, is that we have an organization that has volunteer needs, but we care more about the hearts and the souls of the men and women that are in this place because we are a family and we love you and we care about you. And so we make the invitations and you make the decisions, but do not serve because Hopeco asked you to serve. Serve because you want to be like Jesus and he calls us to serve. He modeled what service looks like. And your church happens to have opportunities where you can practice and live that out. We do not serve. Demanding that the world do good to us, but we serve offering ourselves to do good to the world. We fight the world's influence that says that life is a game of better than and too good for and you serve me by coming in the spirit of Jesus in Matthew 20, 28, who said the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What kind of person is able to serve like this? What kind of person is able to enter into these spaces of offering oneself, not expecting anything from the people that they're serving, not trying to puff themselves up and play a game in their own head and beat a high score, not trying to be seen by others and win their applause, but with this beautiful self-forgetfulness of overflowing love? What kind of person is able to serve like that? Someone who looks a lot like Jesus. And that is our heart. How do you get there? You practice. You practice serving people. So why do we need to hear all this? Because there will be work left undone on earth and rewards left unclaimed in eternity if we settle for anything less than the Father's rewards when we serve. And that's what we have for you as a church. My boss told me to say it again, so I'm gonna say it again. <laughs> why do we need to hear this? Because there will be work left undone on earth and rewards left unclaimed in eternity if we settle for anything less than the Father's rewards. We serve because we want to be like Jesus. And so you have that card. I'm going to invite you to take that out. Name, phone number, and email. If you are part of the Hope Collective and you are already serving, I'm going to take this card and just check the places that you're serving. And then when the ushers pass the buckets in just a moment, and we're going to pass the buckets because every week we touch that bucket and we pass that on, that bucket is an icon of our generosity, not just our generosity with our money, but now generosity of our time. And we're going to put these cards in those buckets as they pass. If you're not serving with the Hope Collective, we want to invite you into a season of serving over the season of Lent. And we want to invite you, these first this is seven boxes down to Creative Arts, Pick one of those places that you are interested in serving. If you pick more than one, we will throw your card away because we don't want to do that to you. Pick one 
of these places that you're interested in serving. And maybe you're like, I don't know. I want to serve Jesus, but at the same time, where's the need? I just want to be able to meet the need in the name of Jesus. Those first two ministries, kids ministry and hospitality, go ahead and sign up for those. But we're asking you to sign up, inviting you for a six-week season during Lent. And if you're in a place where you're like, I just don't even know if I can serve right now, but I'm giving of my generosity and we're doing that, here's what I invite you to do. This last box here says, I'd like to be part of a Hope Center tour. Let me tell you a story of something that happened a couple weeks ago. We had a training here uh, on a Saturday, a third Saturday, when so much was going on with the food pantry already. And one of the women that was part of this training, uh, we crossed paths in the lobby and we're kind of navigating all the tables that are set up there. It's loud. There's like a hundred people out in that lobby, tables set up. You can hear Spanish being spoken, Ukrainian, Russian, English. There are carts going in and out from the gym. The whole gym is set up with people shopping. There's a buddy break that's going to be happening later. There's people learning English as a second language downstairs and getting legal aid. And this woman came up to me and she said, Alex, I thought the Hope Center was a shelf in the gym. We just don't know because we haven't seen what God is doing in our acts of generosity. So even if you can't step in and serve somewhere, at least see the faces of the people that your generosity is impacting. Sign up to be a part of this Hope Center tour. We'll reach out with some more information. It's a new thing we're doing. We're figuring it out. But we want you to get connected to the people that you're giving is impacting. But when the ushers pass the buckets in just a moment, check that one of those boxes is a place that you'd be interested to serve during Lent. Kids ministry, hospitality, that's our ushers, our greeters, worship and tech, that's camera and sound. We've got creative arts if you're a videographer or a graphic designer. You may be wondering, like, I don't even know. I'm interested in this kind of stuff, but I don't, I don't know how to do some of this. We'll train you. It's okay. And guess what? At the end of six weeks, you can go do something else. We're just wanting to give an invitation for people to jump in to serve, not because the church needs you to, but because you need you to. This is an opportunity for you to become more like Jesus. So before the ushers pass the buckets, you fill that out, but three things that we can't forget. Because if we talked about some things that Jesus said and some things that he didn't say, what are some things that we can't forget? How do we remember what Jesus said about serving in such a way so as not to be seen, serving in such a way that we're not trying to just feel good about ourselves, and serving in such a way that we make no demands from others? I want to leave you with three words. Ready? Ninja. Hamster. Crockpot. Ninja. Hamster. Crockpot. Three words that you can't forget. What is the essence of a ninja? Doing something amazing and no one sees you do it. When we serve, Jesus said, serve so as not to be seen. When you serve, serve like a ninja. Don't just serve like a ninja. Serve like a hamster. I learned this this week. Did you know that hamsters have a three-second short-term memory? Three seconds. I thought goldfish had the record. Apparently, there have been academic studies and research that's been done to disprove that theory. I'm less curious about the findings of this research than I am about the funding. <laughs> Who 
Who decided this was worth a, I think it's the Goldfish Cracker PR branch, but whatever. Apparently, hamsters have a three-second memory, which explains why that wheel is so exciting. It's always new. When we serve, we should be able to serve in such a way that the moment the good deed is done, we forget we ever did it because we're not keeping score for ourselves. We're able to do it with such a sense of self-forgetfulness so that the left hand doesn't know what right hand is doing. Serve like a ninja, serve like a hamster, serve like a crockpot. Crockpots are some of the hardest working and low demand appliances in our entire homes. What happens with a crockpot? In the morning, you load it up, you put the lid on it, press A button, you come back six hours later and it has a delicious meal and no expectations of you. I will go on record as saying, I believe the Crock-Pot is the most altruistic of all kitchen appliances. <laughs> when we serve, we serve not making demands of other people. We serve to be able to freely give to others. Ninjas can't be seen. Hamsters don't remember. Crock-Pots don't make demands. Is that going to make it up there? Fantastic. Some of you are like, I don't think I could forget this even if I tried. This is terrible. We serve like Jesus taught us so that we can be more like him. That's it. Not to be seen by others. Not to keep score for ourselves. Not to make demands of other people, but just because we want to be like him. And in our act of serving, he is shaping us to be more like him in that process. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the ushers to come forward, pass those buckets, and collect those cards. If you need time to think about it, take the time you need, but we want to invite every single person to be a part of this moment. And as the ushers are passing the buckets, so we're entering into this season of Lent. And we believe that this is going to be a really special season for the life of our church. So first, uh, Pastor Dave shared a couple weeks ago a recommended reading list. Uh, that's going to go out in the email newsletter that goes out every Monday. If you are a family in the room, there's one more add to that recommended reading list. If you have elementary school kids. So this is the Easter Storybook Bible, 40 Bible stories from the life of Jesus that show who he is. If you have elementary school students or younger, this is a great resource to use during the season of Lent to tell the stories of Jesus leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection. So families, this is a recommended resource for you. You already got uh, an email newsletter from Kate talking about this resource, but go ahead and check this out. But for everybody in this room, for this season of prayer, fasting, and serving, we want to invite you to our Thursday night prayer nights, and those are going to be happening from 6.30 to 8 o'clock every Thursday beginning uh, February 23rd. So that's this Thursday. We'd love to see you there to show up in the space. We're going to be walking through the Lord's Prayer over these six weeks. And then on week seven, April 6th, Monday, Thursday, we're just going to have a time to celebrate the end of Lent. We'd invite you into also, in addition to the prayer nights, to a season of a food fast during this season of Lent whether that's one meal a day, whether that's one day a week, or whatever God is calling you into, joining together as a church to do that. Invite you into a season of serving for these next six weeks. And during this time, we're going to be returning to our series on 1 John. 
We've been in 1 John for a while. We took a break for a few months. We're going to be sending out uh, some communication just to catch up on the last message in that series to kind of get us all back up to speed before we enter into this space. And as part of our Sundays, our gatherings through the Lent season, we're going to be taking time at the end of our services to do something a little different where we are opening ourselves to a time of intentionally listening and discerning what the Holy Spirit wants to say for that specific service. Because here's what we believe. If we're going to take the season of prayer and fasting and serving because we want more of God and we believe that God speaks as we do that, then we better be taking the time to listen. So that's what we're going to be doing over the season. We're really excited, a little nervous, but looking forward to what God has in store for the Hope Collective in this season that we're heading into. I'm really glad that we get to share all of that together. So before we dismiss, I invite you to stand as we pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that you've given us together. Thank you that you are a God who has spoken and is still speaking. And we pray that as individuals and as a collective, that you would help us to hear your voice clearly, whatever you might be asking us to do, and that you would give us the courage to follow through on whatever you're calling us into next. In this season, as we press into prayer and fasting and serving, may we encounter you in a way that we never have before. May our awareness of your presence with us by your Holy Spirit be so real because you are real, Lord. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. You're dismissed. See you next week. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.